what's happening, guys? Welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown. This is your Thursday episode, and we have a great guest lined up for today's show. Really excited about it. As we always do now, I want to talk to you about what's going on on the OBR website leading into this discussion. Really, a pretty fun slate of things were up today that I think you should have enjoyed a couple of them. Uh, the Cade York pick, we got an anal- analysis from Anthony Reinhardt, who did a great job with this one, looking at whether the Cade York pick was the right slot for the pick, or if the Browns were a little early on that selection, what history tells us about selected kickers in the various rounds two through seven, and then what UDFA history is out there and like second kicker contracts. Those are really a, a nice set of things to learn here about the kicker position and how that all shakes out in NFL careers. So take a look at that when you can. I think it's worth your time, and that is for OBR subscribers. And then we also had Fred Greetham updating his six steps to putting the Browns back in the playoffs in 2022. So that is also available. Things that will go up today that have been VIP but will become free. We have the film study that John Stephenson did of why Jadeveon Clowney's return is so important to the Cleveland Browns defense. So take a peek at that. That is well worth your time to understand the strong side defensive end role and what you're looking for opposite Miles Garrett why Jadevian Clowney is so good for it, and potentially what he can do for guys like Alex Wright, Isaiah Thomas, and Chase Winovich as those guys look to find their role in Joe Wood's defense. So well worth your time. Pretty slow day of news on the Cleveland Browns. Not a ton of stuff out there. Uh, we did not get any transactional in, um, in, in information at all. Uh, we don't have any real updates that matter, at least not from things that I have seen here. Looks like people spend plenty of the day arguing about Baker Mayfield um, and all of the stuff that we continue to argue about all the time about when he will get traded, how good he is, all that stuff. So if you are looking for that sort of um, element of conversation, that is readily available for you if you would like to find it. Otherwise, not much news. We do have some stuff coming up here that I think is going to be pretty exciting. couple interviews. I am working through some... Uh, interviews with local beat writers. If you've followed along with this podcast over the years, every year I have on local beat writers who do a really nice job of covering the players the Browns drafted and giving us insights into those players. I'm almost wrapped up on the first three rounds. When that comes to fruition, I will make sure to release it. Probably will be a weekend pod because I think there's just, I've loved them. There's been two interviews that have been really good on Alex Wright and David Bell, and we're going to get one on Martin Emerson tomorrow. So have that up for you as soon as I can. Otherwise, today's guest, I always try to have Kevin on once in a while. Uh, I think he does such good work, and he thinks in a, in a unique way, and I like his perspective on these podcasts. So uh, we will get over to that interview with Kevin right now, which, again, I think you guys will really enjoy. So otherwise, keep your eye out for some fun stuff on the OBR. More data profiles coming up soon which I think give you a really good glimpse into these draft picks, their their potential, the future, and what that all looks like uh, cumulatively. And we will start having film breakdowns coming up pretty soon, probably late this week, hopefully, is when we will get to those. So keep your eye out for that. Otherwise, that kind of wraps up today's pre-interview content. Let's get over to our interview right now, which is with Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, excited to have Kevin Colin. Kevin comes in. It seems like once a month now, Kevin joins the show. You should you should be checking out all this I wish. Stuff I wish it was yeah, once well. a month. Hey, we'll make that happen if you want to. But his uh, Unexpected Pods uh, Points podcast, which is fantastic, a uh, listen for me every time a new episode gets dropped, is great. So make sure you're checking that out. He's at PFF, at Kevin Cole PFF on Twitter. I think I've covered everything. Kevin, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good. I mean, we got through the draft. We survived. We lived through the pre-draft hype and the post-draft grading system. And... um I'm ready to go because there's not going to be a lot that's going to happen between now and when football actually starts. So I think we have a pretty good idea of how teams are going to look come 2022 until, you know, week one happens and then we'll just rearrange everything and go in a completely different direction. Well, there, I think you could claim that Cleveland's one of the bigger teams that have some things that could happen, right? Like, yes. not only is there this Baker Mayfield cloud hanging over the franchise in terms of what they ultimately do with him but there's some other guys they they need to address i mean Devin Clowney is now almost a full month later this year than last year of when he signed with cleveland i have not heard of any other team seriously interested in him other than cleveland so that has to happen that's a huge part of their defense and then they could also be active in an akeem hicks or somebody like that so cleveland has a lot of moving parts here um, and I, I know later we're going to talk about your improvement index in this offseason, but like, I guess I should ask you the big question about Baker I, because it's, it's, I mean, it gets talked about all the time and I'm not really trying to dive into who Baker is, but more of the situation. And are you surprised that this is still sitting here on May 4th un, unresolved with him? Or are you still of the thought of they'll figure it out before the season starts and it's whatever? Yeah. I mean, both. In a way, like I'm surprised that it has lasted this long because, I mean, it's not only Baker, right? We also have Jimmy Garoppolo probably in a similar yeah. bucket where we're talking about quarterbacks who are, you know, league average, I would say. Like, I don't think that they're worse than league average type of guys you could project no matter where they're playing who have not found a landing spot in in, in the past. You would just not see this. You would not see this um, in the free agency slash trading market for different guys. But I think it's attached in a way to what we saw during the draft. Like there are fewer teams now who are just willing and have a slot open and are trying to compete this season and so on and so forth who want to make a move at quarterback. And I think, I, I think you can almost attach the fact that a lot of these quarterbacks slid in the draft to the fact that, Garoppolo and Baker are kind of walking around in this musical chair sort of thing. And there's nowhere to sit down at this point. Cause there's so many teams who are just willing to be patient. Yeah. Do you think teams are now, this is, this may be unanswerable, but that's okay. Cause it's a discussion point. Like are teams now yeah. more willing 
to say we don't want the middle like okay seattle perfect example they have drew lock we know i mean at least, at least i do think we know who drew lock is there's no yeah, we, we no know secret we know it's okay here. yeah but are they or other teams more comfortable now saying eh, if we bought him out we bought him out that at least gives us a shot at a big time quarterback whereas it seems in years past at least for a prolonged stretch teams have been just trying to get incrementally better at quarterback to have better seasons does the Jimmy thing and the Baker thing indicate to you? Because they're, I mean, Baker's pretty affordable. It's a one-year flyer on a guy who has had some nice seasons in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're at least getting, like Carolina, I mean, you know, you got Matt Corral, and, and that's all fine and well, but like Baker would be the best quarterback in that situation. But it feels like teams are more inclined to say, yeah, hey, you know, we go 3-13, and 13, we, get a, we get a great pick and a shot at a great quarterback in next year's draft, and so be it. It does seem like there's a, there's a wider gap there than there ever has been. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know if Seattle falls into the same bucket, but I think there's a feeling that if you implement an offense that makes things quote unquote easy for for the quarterback, like the baseline, the floor quarterback performance that you can get is a little bit higher than what we've seen in the past. And you mentioned the 2023 class. I think that's a big part of it, too. I think there's a little too much optimism from teams that they will be in position to get the quarterback they want because I mean, there's two different factors. Number one, we don't know whether or not these quarterbacks that we're projecting to be so great are going to actually be so great. I mean, they could be right. So that, that, that could happen. Number two is maybe teams are a little too optimistic on whether they'll be able to position themselves to get one of those quarterbacks too. Um, but I think generally, though, the biggest factor is the NFL has has evolved in a way and has picked up a lot of the concepts from college that make it easy to get a baseline of performance. I mean, we've seen it with guys coming in off of the bench, um, whether it's even, um, you know, guys coming in like the Ravens bringing in their backup quarterback and getting decent performance when um, Lamar Jackson, the, you know, the the former unanimous MVP is out getting okay performance. I think a lot of teams are like, you know what, we can we can weather the storm with decent quarterback play. When it comes to Seattle, though, I think they're just thinking we can just run the ball and then yes. and then not have to have a quarterback, basically. Sure, yeah, I think you're right on that. So then it it moves to we'll see we'll see if things change. I have a hard time. It's not like it doesn't seem like maybe this is the one exception or or something like that where there are just there's not a ton of quarterback injuries. So sitting here saying. We'll ride yeah. it out until mini camp or, or sorry, uh, training camp and in the preseason. Well, okay, you can, but that's not a guarantee. So th- th- that's an interesting point that remains the Baker thing. Uh, we'll see what happens with Clowney. There's some stuff going to be moved around, but the draft helped solve some things. And I want to get your opinions on the draft. The Browns are pretty aggressive in the trade market. I think most people were expecting them to be. I think I was fine with every trade. I've been uh, on this podcast all week sort of talking about my philosophy, but I want to hear what you think because you study a lot of these, um, you know, you have your wide receiver prospect success model. And when they were up at 44, there were some guys. I mean, there was there, George Pickens was there, Sky Moore, Alec Pierce. There were some guys there, but they ended up with David Bell a little later. So I, I'm curious of what you thought of their move down from 44 to gather more picks. And then, you know, I think you, I think it seems like you like David Bell a little bit. Tell, tell everybody what you like about him. Yeah, I mean, as far as Bell is concerned, well, maybe, maybe I'll step back for a second. So, I, I mean, of the different guys who went after between 44 and I guess, what was it, 98 or 99 where, where Bell went? Uh, 99 yeah. where, where Bell went. Um, 
I mean, I like Sky Moore a lot, so I think that, that could have been a, uh, an interesting pick, but not so much that it's worth giving up a trade back. So this is how I think about the trade backs. The trade backs are a way of building in a larger margin for error. So you are basically saying, we believe in our evaluations, but if they happen to be wrong, we're giving ourselves an out in this sort of way. So even if we're drafting, you know, David Bell at 99, we picked up this extra draft capital. So it's like we're taking a fifth round flyer on him as opposed to a late third round flyer on someone like David Bell. And the reason that I like Bell is the one thing he does not have it does not project well as an NFL player is the athleticism. And I think that's been well-documented. That's the reason that he slipped down to where he was. Even in the post-draft press conference, Andrew Barry basically said he was available to us because he ran a four, six, eight, and he ran a four, seven, something at his pro day. But the, the most important things for projecting a receiver into the NFL are how well they produce, especially how well they produce over a longer timeline. And he's been very productive from an early age. He's an early declare. Uh, he played with Rondale Moore, who's another good receiver and was still very productive there. And the question is just, you know, how well can he translate that to the NFL? And when I looked at similar receivers, now he's not quite on the same athleticism level as these guys. So, but even, even if you're getting a discount version of these guys, I think it's very, very good at this sort of range, but his 10 most similar receivers that came up with Keenan Allen, um, Jarvis Landry, who obviously Browns fans are very familiar with and Juju Smith Schuster. So again, I don't think he's on the level of those guys, but when those guys are in your range of outcomes, guys who had testing that everyone was turned off by and they fell because of that, um, it's an interesting pick. It's an interesting pick because he has like proof is in the pudding and he has actually produced at a high level in college. Yeah, he's, he's fun. He's, he's definitely got tape that shows he can do some things that the athleticism can't record necessarily. Right. Like the uh, catch radius stuff is huge for him. Ball tracking, not something testable. I'm, I'm optimistic about him. I kind of view him and I've said again this week is a, a, better version of Richard Higgins instead of Jarvis yes, because that's per- Jarvis I was exactly thinking that exactly I was thinking that it's yeah. same exact thing Richard Higgins was another guy exactly the same huge producer poor athleticism but you know he was a what fifth round guy I think sixth I round think guy he was something I think he was fifth I'm pretty yeah he was either fifth or that. sixth and there's a big difference between being a late third round guy and a fifth round guy so exactly he's like your premium Rashard Higgins and Higgins has been a hit. I mean, he's been a hit for, for a guy who was taken at that sort of level, even if he's never been, you know, he's not going to make a, a pro bowl or something like that, but he's been a hit at that level. So I would say you're going to get a very enhanced version of what you get from Rashard Higgins. Yeah. So a better, a better catching uh, target. He's more reliable hands. He's, you know, better ball tracking, catch radius, all that stuff, more clean route concept into, I think from what you gather, talking to people around the Purdue program is just a very reliable person, a good practicer, hard worker, all of those things um, are, are what you like to hear. So yeah, a better version of, and that's a good player. I mean, Higgins went a couple seasons of 600 and plus yards. So if you get, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's like that, way above what you would hope for 
for yeah. a fifth or sixth round receiver. Definitely. Yeah. So if you can like a consistent version of that, you can get to the thousand yard mark a couple times, and then you know the quarterback play might be a little better, and some of that stuff uh, starts to work itself out. And he, it's just funny looking at you know the, the the two guys that the Browns have now, which is Cooper and uh, Cooper and, and Bell are probably going to be one too. It's interesting because Bell and Cooper kind of both play Z and maybe this yields the opportunity to use Amari a little bit more in the slot because he's really fun in Dallas when he was like uh, this slot guy in three by one formations. And then if you got mm-hmm. him in motion, he was fun there. So I know they referenced maybe using Bell as a power slot, bigger bodied slot player, but he didn't move directionally very well. The three cone and shuttle were pretty poor. So that doesn't really typically indicate a very good slot player because you have to be so twitchy in and out of cuts. But his the thing I'm encouraged about by Bell more than anything is his 10-yard split. The 10-yard split, I think it was one five six, which is pretty strong, pretty good. I mean, yeah. like that that number when yeah. you, that means when he gets to top speed, he can move. He's maybe he doesn't start the 40 very well or you know, whatever. But that is a, a pretty strong number. But they're almost identical bodies. Like they're both six one, two ten, two twelve, and like same arm length, same hands. Cooper's just a more explosive athlete, but they're very similar. So I think the Browns had a mold and they were trying to get guys uh, that, that were good value and, and, and have some positive traits to fit into this offense. And I think Bell is an interesting player. Is there anybody, is there anybody else in this, this draft that you really like? I mean, I guess I have to ask too, you know, did you like the kicker selection too? Where do you sit on that? Yeah. I mean, no, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like I'm just going to play the odds there and say, no, I liked the, I mean, going, going back in the day, um, Zane Gonzalez in the seventh round, I did like that kicker selection. I guess he's still floating around. He's probably going to actually yeah. be kicking for someone um, in the end. I think he was resigned. With, I don't know. Where is he with Arizona or something at this point? Carolina now. Carolina. He yeah. He's, he's somewhere. So I like, I felt like that was a good selection. I feel like if you have a kicker who makes a lot of 50, plus yard field goals. Um, the seventh round sounds, sounds good to me, you know, <laughs> it sounds mm-hmm. better than taking mm-hmm. someone a little bit earlier, but actually, you know what? One thing I thought about, and I want to ask you about this because I have not been following it as closely. The guy I think is a wild card when it comes to the Browns and the receiver room is Anthony Schwartz, because he was one of the youngest prospects, you know, that's come out in a very long time. I don't think he was even 21 years old. When the NFL season started, he has a very kind of one track speed sort of guy. But I feel like he could really be a wild card for what he does between year one and year two, just for the fact that developmentally he was so far behind the curve coming in as a rookie. Yeah, I think Schwartz is like you said, this is not no one's talking about him that much. No, nobody is. He's almost being written off. He's a third round pick, right? Like he was he was selected earlier than David Bell. Yeah, and, and and they have not, uh, at least as we sit here today, who knows what could happen tomorrow, but they've yet to cut a pick they've made. They have not cut a single Andrew Berry pick. Now, they could test that a little bit with like like the Michael Woods selection this year might get a little dicey, but they're 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 gonna keep him. So what does he do? I don't know. You know, like I think last year everybody knew the story, the track speed stories, the Olympic speed, and it just didn't translate in the first year. He's not a kick return guy, so how do they get him involved in the offense? I think there were some strides as an outside receiver somewhat late last year. I thought he made some nice plays when given chances, but he's a build-up speed guy. I know that you've talked about this and you're the folks at PFF do. There's the thing that people don't talk about enough in the NFL is not can you run a 4-4 four, or 4-3? Four, four, How quick do you get to that speed? And he yeah. is obviously world-class runner, but he does not get there right now. And I think that part of it, 
is is something people were a little on uh, i guess not expecting because that's what makes the tyree kill player so special is how quickly yeah. he's at top speed right now so i don't know i really don't it's it is it is to be determined at the fullest level because the ball tracking was questionable like he comes out and he has this great game against kansas city where he gets a couple chances downfield makes a nice play on one of them does not necessarily make a nice play on another one that mattered late in the game so then he disappears for a pretty long period of time. He was the target on the ball that Baker missed high over the middle that ended up being the interception. People tried to blame Schwartz, but I think Schwartz thought this ball was so far high over the middle that it's like, that, that ball can't be going to me. I still yeah, believe that, yeah. but whatever. Um, you know, so he gets a lot of backlash from Cleveland fans about that situation. I really... Now that one wasn't that bad. The one that you mentioned earlier about him not making a play on it, yeah, he, he like turned a 50-50 ball into a... 1090 ball or whatever you would say yeah. about yeah. Uh, like turned it into an impossibility. Yeah. So the, the ball tracking stuff is, is sort of like, if you're going to be a deep guy, if you're going to be a, uh, for better or worse, when you pair with the quarterback in Cleveland and Deshaun Watson with, with Will Fuller, can you track a deep ball? If you're going to be a speed guy, you have to be able to be able to like, you know, if we're going to run you away from people, create that separation at the top of the route, whatever it takes, can you track it? And that's what I'm a little worried about. He is not necessarily of, of the jet sweet fly sweet mold. I think he can do some of those things. I don't know. He's the biggest wild card. I, I continue to say, you know, they drafted bell and woods and that's fine. They're, they're going to yeah. uh, probably have roles for, for both of those guys. We'll see if woods makes the roster, but, but Schwartz having something happen positively for him in year two is massive because like you said, there were, there were names to be taken there and they took Schwartz and they, they have got to develop him into something that means something. The thing I just can't wrap my head around is like, what version of him is a successful version around the league right now? And I don't have a similar yeah. comparison player in mind, but I need to see more. He didn't after week one, he just didn't get a ton more opportunity. Uh, he had the concussion issue midway through the year. And then they brought back Odell and Odell was getting a lot of the snaps in this position, the position that Schwartz was early in the season. So it was just a weird rookie year, but if he can develop into something a fuller type, a vertical route tree runner, then that would be huge for shifting the wave of things here. And if you continue to see Donovan Peoples-Jones take some steps with the new quarterback, then you can see where these four guys they have at the top of this thing can be really nice players. And the lack of urgency to even remotely consider bringing back Jarvis Landry does tell me that they think they like what they have in-house. We'll see if that ultimately works out. But you're right to bring up Schwartz. He is... He's a third round pick. It was a pick 80, I think. He was a uh I'm looking here. It's 91. So it was oh, a little 91? bit it was a little bit earlier, but in the same ballpark. I mean, the thing with Schwartz was for me, like maybe I'm too deferential in some ways to this Browns front office. And when it happened, I was like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, like because because guys get overdrafted when they're fast. And he was not a vertical receiver in college no. you know he was like i i, I want to say his average depth of not target but his average depth of, re, of reception was extremely low in college so i was like okay you know like uh, i'm he's young you know he's fast he has potential he's maybe a high variance type of player but yeah i don't know at this point i think he's more like a 90 10 not going to be a success sort of guy but i do think there is that 10% chance where maybe he he breaks out in some sort of way. Yeah, they need him to. It would really, really help things because they need, you know, Donovan is not really a vertical guy. And yes. 
You know, they, they don't really have that guy. He could feel like if you're looking to fill out roles, he could fill that role. But you're, you're, you're spot on in saying a lot of his receptions and what he did at, at Auburn that made the difference were like the shallow crosses, right? A slant where you make one guy miss and all of a sudden you got some space to create or shallows where you're late down, uh, you're, you know, you're late getting the football and you can sort of catch it and turn it up the sideline and erase some angles. But he's never really been like, oh, there goes Schwartz on a post or a post corner or he's just a vertical and he's run past everybody. It's not really been that so maybe there's something to unlock there I don't know but the role is there for him to take it's definitely a wildly important season for him to flash something that means he gets to keep that role so we'll see if that comes to fruition it's Um, just interesting it's just interesting that he's like kind of the wide receiver for you know slotted in at this point despite Mm -hmm. the fact that he's competing against a receiver who was a rookie who was selected after him and another receiver who was taken in the sixth round I want to say for Donovan Peoples-Jones so it's just interesting that he's like so buried at this point he is but but again we'll see as things shift here uh, I think we're right to presume it this way, but maybe there's, yes. they like, no, I, I think we are right. I think we are right, but it's, it's, it's intriguing, I guess. It for is me. intriguing. I do agree. We'll see where he ends up fitting in and what they do. Cause I mean, if I were to say here again, back to the positions, these guys play like to me, Schwartz is a Z. He's not a slot. He's also an off the ball. Flanker oh, yeah, he's type. definitely not he a needs, slot. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. needs, he needs space between him and a corner being off the ball. Let him go in motion. Let him do like I also see that as the role for David Bell, and I also see that the role for obviously Amari Cooper's played that role his whole life. So like, okay, that means Donovan Peoples Jones is your split end X. Then there's just there's just some questions. They'll iron themselves out, or maybe they'll ultimately not have done enough. We'll see. But I I do think that that I would like a little more clarity as to that's why I was into somebody like Kyle Phillips around that pick range because I need somebody with some pure slot experience because I do think that is an invaluable thing. And if the Browns only have two tight ends on the roster that matter, you know, they did not acquire a third tight end yet. They could in the free agency market or something, but it seems like they're going the UDFA route for a third tight end. And we know how much they love 13 personnel. If they want to be this team that upticks and 11 personnel, then you need a guy, right? You need somebody you can trust to be there. And maybe that guy's Cooper, yeah. or they have somebody else. In I think the it's line Bell. It. I think it's Bell. Like, I think he, I mean, he didn't play the slot that much. He played mostly outside, but he seems like a guy who can move inside. And they talked about that in the press conference too, with Barry and others that they think he can play inside and outside. But I mean, they were very like non-committal about that sort of thing, but I, I think he can move inside. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good conversation topic out outside of like, any indication we'll, we'll hopefully get a feel for it because like last year, I think after rookie mini camp, they were like, well, we see Greg Newsom being able to play the slot. We liked moving him inside. And so maybe we get some, some hints soon, but uh, we don't really yeah. have a great yeah. indication other than what you're talking about there. So performance index wise, in terms of improvement this off season, where, where do you kind of have them is, is the Deshaun Watson improvement that substantial for, for the on-field quarterback play stuff that it moves them way up the line here because the draft didn't move the needle much. I mean, you know, anytime you trade back from 44, your first pick is 44 back to 66. You're not going to really improve your team all too much as we sit here looking outside into a season that could change when you get into it and guys and somehow impact that. But as we sit here, really the move that they have made is the Cooper move and the, and the, and the Watson move. And how much do you think that moves the needle on actually making them a better football team in your opinion? I mean, it moves it a lot. Um, one of the bigger factors is how many games do you think Deshaun Watson is going to play this year? My assumption, and again, this is something that I was doing back in 
early April and in March, my assumption was to be he's going to miss six games. That's starting to sound like it's on the high side, perhaps, of what will end up happening. But then again, do you think, let me I mean, interrupt you real quick. Do you think yeah. Trevor Bauer's situation, although I know not not one to one here, but like the MLB put on the full court press, they made an example of Trevor Bauer. Now we'll see what the, uh, arbitrator says and what it ends up ultimately being but that was a huge thing and the end i would say at the bare minimum it didn't help i mean the nfl operates in its own world i totally understand but like this is also a case where he could be made example of uh for for a similar way that that trevor bauer is so i was curious if you think that like like just me maybe it's because i cover the browns i don't know it, it probably yeah. is but i saw the bauer suspension i'm like well, if this is a league that's taken a stance on this, is somebody else in the NFL going to get to be the same sort of guy? And if it is, it would be Watson, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not as familiar, honestly, with the particulars of that of that situation, so I don't want to speculate too much. But, um, I mean, I think maybe they just don't like him generally also <laughs> in a kind of way. He seems like a he, – he's, he's a diametrically – opposite personality and outside of the allegation, I guess, than who Deshaun Watson has been. So that probably plays into it at least a little bit. Um, There seems to be more of a focus on what would be considered like domestic violence versus, um, you know, sexual assault in a non-domestic sort of situation. Again, I don't want to speculate too much on this, but I guess I I haven't heard anything from – the NFL media and others who are talking about this, I haven't heard any indication that it would be longer than six okay. games. So that's okay. why that's, I just made that my assumption. Yeah, I got it. Do you think that this comes this? I mean, this is all total conjecture too, but yeah, there seems to be some growing buzz that due to the nature of the uh, civil cases, not being allowed to be in court or be heard during the season, that there is a significant chance here that this, is something the NFL wants to wait on and that he might not get suspended until the following season. Do you get that vibe or, or not? I don't know. I mean, it has happened in the past, right? Has like, it? Okay. I mean, I want to say that Ezekiel Elliott, I want to say allegations came out and he played a full season and then he missed some games that the, the, the subsequent season, I could mm-hmm. be completely wrong about that. Um, and it was pretty like, nebulous sort of stuff when it came to him his allegations so the only problem is i I think this is too high profile like if deshaun watson is on the field week one of this season again i don't want to be too cynical about how these things are put out but i think from the nfl's perspective they would rather just slap them with a four game suspension to start the season and and wipe their hands clean of it yeah i think you're you're probably pretty right about that i think for the NFL in for Watson, this thing going away is like, is what they want to, is what they want the outcome to be. So, um, I don't know. Do we touch on everything that's gone on with these guys? Uh, you know, I think we have, is there any other topics of the Browns that fascinate you going into, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll have a chance to touch base really until training camp, but I didn't know if there's anything else you wanted to hit on. No, no, I think that's most of it. I mean, we had, um, I guess we had the the Denzel Ward signing that's mm. gone on. So I guess the only thing with with the Browns is I don't know if they've made a quote unquote hard decision to let someone go versus re-signing them. I guess Baker would be 
part of it. But again, that's not even a decision at this point, but it was something they were contemplating pre Watson trade. So I think that's the interesting, most interesting thing with them, because ultimately if you're going to be a sustained championship team, it's not about the picks you make or the players you bring in in free agency. It's not a hundred percent about that. It's about making the right moves on letting players go, because that's how, you know, the Ravens get, 10 picks every single NFL draft is by being willing to let those players go and then get the compensatory picks back in the process. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. They have not, they've pretty much re-signed everybody who has mattered to them in some form or fashion. So yeah. we, we've, we've and they've had used some... void years and other stuff yeah. where they're really trying to spread out the cost. So I'm a little like iffy about that, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, everyone's about, today in the NFL now like people are trading away picks people are you know leveraging their their future for today sure. the rams it paid off in a super bowl victory so uh, it's obviously the the kind of standard operating procedure but i'm interested in that sort of stuff yeah i do i do also get interested in seeing like we've seen the void years in action but how do they actually look when the void years arrive you know so yeah. let's see what happens when that happens because there's all these discussions of the cap rising and what that'll look like and i get it so uh, I just want to see it in action, just kind of like what you're saying. But I, I, I like I like that point that you made. Like they have not they there was always a discussion of like, oh, they'll never re-sign a running back. Right. They'll never that we don't envision them bringing back a running back. There was that yeah. discussion. There was some discussions this offseason about, you know, could they potentially move Ward? Could they move Ward and try to recoup a first, a first round pick and go out and sign a guy, you know, like uh, Jones or go out and sign somebody? Uh, Stefan Gilmore and try to replace it that way. They have not really tested the limits yet, I think is the way to put it in terms of, of their own in-house talent. We know they tested the limits with the quarterback decision, but they haven't really pushed it in terms of like, oh, they drafted or whatever, a really good player. And they decided not to bring him back and try to do this. That I think it's looming um, with some guys like uh, Jedrick Wills or some some guys like that. We'll see what they end up ultimately doing. But everybody that has mattered, they have uh, they've kept around. And I think that's an interesting point to make. I haven't heard anyone say that. So uh, that's fascinating. We haven't talked about the one thing I even <laughs> sparked our discussion to have this show. Tonight, the Hugh Jackson thing. We didn't talk about it. Oh, so, Hugh. Yes. Yeah, Hugh. We have to. We, I just want the thing. I, OK, Huey, I, I Huey headlines. Huey headlines. Huey headlines. I'm going I'm I'm to I'm gonna market one. that. Yeah, I hope this is the last one. <laughs> but OK. The thing I think you can take away from this is the contract documents that got released, right? The mm-hmm. the SI report that had, uh, at least for a lot of people that I uh, trust on this stuff, it's one of the first times we've se- we've had a look at the incentives in the contract. And what I was pretty fascinated with was that the incentives were unique, like really unique. You know, you think of a head coach and the incentives they have, it was like, I would think, okay, wins, um, largely tied to like outcomes in in terms of like points per game and things like that. But it's, it's really, it was really interesting. There was a nugget in there that you had a discussion with. Was it who I can't remember who you had it with on Twitter today that I was scrolling through. It was mostly Seth Walder. So I, 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 I apologize already for having to, for people having to have seen that who followed the both of us, but go ahead. <laughs> no, it was tied into the fact that they were, you didn't, you didn't that... mute me. You didn't mute me on Twitter because of that. Did you? No, no, of course not. Man. I, got, <laughs> I, I get some, I get some interesting reading done. I, uh, I no, I, I think I was with you that, that trading down picks doesn't mean you're willing to lose. Like you're not right. Like, the idea of giving up picks does not indicate 
you're not giving up picks. That's the wrong way to say it by accumulating picks and moving down to get more opportunities does not equal an outcome desire of losing. You're just trying to get more picks. So that was an interesting point that I, I, I mean, you can touch on if you'd like, but I was also just really interested in how these, these, I didn't read it so close. I, I took some, some points from other people, but it was tied to like, I don't know, fourth down, uh, good probability, win probability thing. There was just a lot of things that to me said, this is a way for us to meld together, a meld together, a football only coaching staff with a, a data driven front office. And that to me was kind of interesting. And that's why I would like love to see what Stefanski has in his contract, because he's yeah. obviously way more open to that than Hugh Jackson was. So it just, I don't know. It's a fascinating pull back the curtain moment on how these contracts get put together and how you can get a front office that is data driven run by Paul DePodesta and those folks to have actual meaningful input that does matter to a coach like Hugh Jackson and saying, Hey man, you have this incentive. Here's how you can get to this incentive while also helping us win so on and so forth. And how you sort of push those two sides together in that way. I would imagine there's less, uh, like, you know, you would imagine two people, like a guy, someone trying to push two people together to have a conversation. That's what that was. And I mean, I, I think Stefanski's obviously pretty open to sitting down and having all these discussions all the time. So that's different. But at least with the Hugh contract, it was a look at that kind of stuff, which was so fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for those who weren't following. So, you know, the Sports Illustrated came out with this article. They went through all of Hugh's documents and there were some incentives that were there which i believe were shared with the the front office where it was kind of a blueprint for what you would want to do as an analytical organization and the ones that became questions as to whether or not they could be interpreted as incentive to lose was like having a certain number of draft picks or a certain number of early draft picks and the for me, it's a little too much like we're going two, three degrees to think like, oh, I'm incentivized to lose because if I lose, then we'll have earlier draft picks. And if we have earlier draft picks, then we could trade back. And if we could trade back, then we'll get more picks for having earlier. Like To me, it's just too much. <laughs> it's too much. And I actually looked at the data and it's disproven by the data, like teams that get multiple picks for trading back are normally is normally in the back half of the round as opposed to in the front half of the round. I mean, we saw it this year, right? Like if the if the Jaguars wanted to trade back from one, there would have been no takers basically in, in this sort of draft. I mean, the Browns themselves had two number one picks after Hugh Jackson seasons and did not trade back from either one of those seasons. But I, I think the larger point was maybe they did this for Hugh Jackson because they wanted to just assuage him a little bit on the fact that they were going to have a tough 2016 um, they made a bunch of tradebacks before he ever even coached a single game. And they were like, let's get everyone aligned. And for Kevin Stefanski, it might not even be necessary to do that. With the knowledge that I think we could be pretty certain of, which was reported that the front office did not even want Hugh Jackson in the first place. They wanted uh, Sean McDermott and not Hugh Jackson. So maybe it was a way to kind of align align them. And, you know, Hugh whatever. I try to have empathy towards everyone, but you know, he asserted himself in this whole mess by saying he was explicitly paid to lose games. And now the best thing that we have is that like, maybe if he lost more games, then maybe they would trade back. Then maybe they would get more picks. It's just, it's too many maybes for me. 
yeah, it was it was never going to stand up, and that's pretty well summarized right there of of a whole bunch of maybes where when you look back on it as Hugh Jackson, you want to blame other people, which has been his thing is blaming other people. <laughs> oh yeah, you look for oh, these yeah. outlets to blame other people, and that's what you can take away. But I did love that we did get to see some of those documents for how some of these they're way more detailed than anyone in the public gets a chance to see. So it was it was awesome to see. So. Overall, good stuff. Listen, we will try to get uh, some more of your time, Kevin, before the season starts and you have some prediction models and things like that that you'll be running. And hopefully the Browns will have a more complete picture of what their quarterback situation is in terms of suspension and some of the other holes that are on the roster. And we can dig into that as sort of a season preview. So check back with you in a couple months. This was awesome stuff today. I know the uh, listeners always, always enjoy when you come on this show. So thanks a ton, man. Well, I appreciate having me. And again, you know, you can invite me back, and I'm, I, I don't think I've—I don't think I've denied you for a request, so I'm always available. I—I I don't think so either. So if you have another good conversation, you're going to be like, "Ah, oh God, Jake's going to reach out." To me. So be prepared. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> It's—it it ranks very low on my "Oh God, what's going to happen?" With a as someone who has a couple of young kids and a lot of things going on, you know, you're 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 well you're well out of the periphery as far as concerned about what may happen. Good. I love that. So we'll, we'll maybe, hell, maybe we'll try to have Kevin on uh, once a month. We'll never know. We'll keep you guessing. We'll keep everybody guessing. So right. anyway, Kevin, you're the man. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks so much, Jake. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for checking out today's episode, everybody. Appreciate your time spent anytime you're thinking, talking, uh, discussing, reading, listening. Maybe I already said listening. Anything in the OBR. We appreciate your support so much. Going to continue to have fun stuff up, uh, stuff up on Twitch. Have some great content on the website. And the website actually got a pretty slick redesign, which I like a ton, which helps you to navigate to some of the more important things on the website pretty quickly. So I love that. Check it out if you have not already checked it out. And again... Why not subscribe with us while you're there if you're not already a subscriber? We appreciate all of your support. Thanks, guys, for checking out today. Thanks to Kevin for joining the show. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Some fun episodes coming up over the next few days. Keep your eyes out for those. Otherwise, we close with our usual. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.